It is episode 90 of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Coaches come and coaches go. Covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball, it's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. We do welcome you into another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great that you are with us as we've got a lot to get into over the next hour or so talking all things Milwaukee Brewers baseball. Kind of starting to feel like the offseason now. For me, this is kind of that first week where it wasn't so fresh where the season seems like it just came to an end. And looking back on the National League Championship Series, really starting to feel like the offseason where we get to start looking ahead to what the offseason might look like and what that might turn into for the 2019 campaign of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. Our featured guest this week is Brad Ford. He's going to join us in our social media conversation. You're actually going to be hearing a lot of Brad over the next few weeks because we've got him tonight in the social media conversation or today or this morning or this afternoon, depending on when you happen to be listening to the podcast. And then finally, like a lot later than we expected it to happen, we're finally going to do a uh, full dive on uh, everything that was the Brewers minor league system. And that's going to take a few weeks to get through. And Brad's going to help us out with that. That's going to start next week. But this week, We'll talk uh, all things major leagues with Brad, and that's going to be coming up in just a little bit. Let's get our normal uh, formalities, housekeeping items, whatever you want to call them. Let's get them out of the way here at the top of the program. If you do want to uh, talk to me, best way to do so is on Twitter, where you can reach me at Matt Pauley on air. M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air is the Twitter handle. If you do listen to the podcast via Apple Podcast, would love for you to uh, leave a ranking and review and also subscribe to the podcast. That helps us out uh, as well as uh, we want as many people to be finding this podcast as absolutely possible. As mentioned, Brad Ford's going to join us in just a little bit and we'll get into this. But uh, as I open up the program, I want to touch on the biggest item of the week, and that was the departure of pitching coach Derek Johnson. And... It's a loss. I'm not going to try to sugarcoat it. It absolutely is a loss. He is a very good pitching coach. He did a lot of really good things for the Brewers. I think you can look at a number of individuals and say that the presence that that he had with them and the impact that he had on them would probably be the better way to say it uh, meant a lot for them. I think you can look at a Ulysse Chassin. You can look at a you can look at a Wade Miley. You can look at guys like that and say what Derek Johnson had them do really really worked I don't think it's an end of the world scenario in a perfect world would DJ be back with the Brewers as the pitching coach next year clearly obviously 100% yes this isn't one of those situations where something happens and then all of a sudden you try to spin it to make it you know better than it actually is you'd love to have Johnson back with the Brewers next season but he's not so where do they go from here? How do they go about this? And I think more than anything else, we're going to learn something. because, And we're going to talk about this with Brad Ford in just a little bit. How much of what he did was him? And I think he's a really good pitching coach. I must say that over and over and over. But how much of his suggestions, the what he implemented, was his strengths as a pitching coach versus 
the pitching strategy in which the Brewers went with and, more importantly, are going to continue to go with. And quite honestly, that's what we're going to find out. Because I think he is somebody, I'll say it again, he's a really good pitching coach. But he was also doing what the Brewers wanted him to do. Now, can you go find another pitching coach who can buy in and completely believe in what the Brewers have going? And maybe you do that by looking to other individuals in your organization, whether it's pitching coaches within the minor leagues, whether it's uh, rovers, pitching coordinators, the like, guys who could uh, who already know kind of the, the strategy that the Brewers want to implement when it comes to pitching, or bringing somebody in from the outside who can buy in on that right away. I think there are, there are a handful of things that, for me, are going to be really interesting going into the 2019 season. And a lot of them have to do with what what impact did certain individuals have on other individuals. And I think you could say that with the pitching coach. 12 months from now, when we are looking back at the 2019 Brewers, and we're specifically looking at pitching, do they take a step forward? Do they take a step back? Do we see reclamation projects? Is there going to be another version of Wade Miley? A guy who is kind of, I don't want to say scrap heap. I must say scrap heap for lack of a better term, but I don't feel like Wade Miley was pulled off the scrap heap. But again, I'm going to use that term because I don't have another one. Are there going to be guys who have been pulled off the scrap heap and revitalized? That's going to be, uh, that's going to be interesting to see. Now, I, one area that it could impact things, I would have bet that Wade Miley was going to be back with the Brewers next season. He he might still be back. It just it seems to work. But it, part of it, and I, I don't have any inside information here. All I can say is he did a really nice job with this club. And if I'm Miley, I'm sitting here going, man, things things worked for me here. Things worked. And let's let's do what I need to do to be able to continue my career renaissance that he basically had. Does that change with a Derek Johnson not being in Milwaukee anymore. Maybe. Does, does Wayne Miley end up in Cincinnati? Like, that's not the craziest thing in the world, right? Yeah, a lot of people connected the possible uh, impending Sonny Gray trade. We expect Sonny Gray to be traded away from the Yankees. And a lot of people kind of just instinctively said, well, Milwaukee would be a good place for him to end up because of his connection with Derek Johnson. Well, now that seems less likely at this point. So there are some there are some things there. There are some ways that it's going to affect the club, but I do think it's going to be really interesting. And again, I'm not going to put Derek Johnson down. If next year the Brewers, if the Brewers bring in a pitching coach who does a really really good job, and a lot of the stuff that happened this season happens again next season, I'm not going to sit here a year from now and say, well, he's a. I don't think maybe this term has never been used, but he's a system pitching coach. You know how we talk sometimes in football, a system quarterback. You know, a guy who has success because of the system that they're in. I'm not going to accuse Derek Johnson of being a system pitching coach because he has success inside of a organization that has a certain certain pitching philosophy. But I will look back and I will be able to sit here and say, or at least I hope I will. I'll try to sit here and say how much impact Derek Johnson had, how much of it 
was because of the organization, because of the pitching philosophy? How much is it because of the the next pitching coach that's going to be brought in? You know, Milwaukee's a, a good place to go right now. You got a lot of good pitching. You got a team that's going to uh, be competitive. I think they're going to spend some money on the pitching coach position. They weren't willing to spend as much money as the Cincinnati Reds, but they definitely did some negotiation, and I got to bet that the the money that they offered Derek Johnson was probably a fair amount more money than a lot of pitching coaches in Major League Baseball are making. That's a good staff to be a part of. People, I think, enjoy working uh, for Craig Council. You get challenged as a pitching coach with different things. It's, uh, it's looking at the game a little bit differently. I think that's a challenge. So there's a lot of good things going, and it's going to be fun to see who they end up uh, hiring uh, for that spot. And then I think the uh, the the bullpen coach will probably, I've, I would guess, I I don't know, but I would guess that they wait on hiring the bullpen coach until after they hire the pitching coach just to make sure everybody's kind of on that same page and it makes sense and everybody's going to be able to work well together. Andy Haynes, a guy who was the assistant hitting coach for the Cubs, was the minor league hitting coordinator before that for the Cubs, was a minor league manager, got to AAA, uh, started in collegiate summer leagues and independent baseball. He got hired as the uh, new hitting coach for the Brewers uh, this past week. Hard to really say what kind of impact he's going to have as well. Uh, Darnell Cole is also the former hitting coach. He got another job pretty quick. He is now the hitting coach for the Arizona Diamondbacks. So coach is coming, coach is going. They've got the hitting coach position filled. They still need a pitching coach and they need a bullpen coach. And I bet there's a pretty good chance that when we're doing the podcast this time next week, uh, we are talking about uh, a new pitching coach and maybe even a new pitching coach and a bullpen coach these are the kind of decisions that generally get uh finished off here pretty quick all right on the program this week as mentioned uh brad ford is going to join us during our social media conversation but first let's get to this week's headlines of the week it doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter there's always news about the brewers let's look back at the week that was with matt's headlines of the week all right so i just made reference to one of the big high headlines is the fact that uh, Andy Haynes has been hired as the new hitting coach for the Brewers. Uh, he's a guy who uh, played collegiately at Eastern Illinois. That's the same Eastern Illinois where uh, Tony Romo went to. They've got, they, their football program has sent uh, has gotten a fair amount of uh, big-time athletes that have come through. Uh, but uh, he uh, has coached at the college level and uh, was managing uh, summer collegiate baseball, was managing independent baseball got into affiliated baseball, moved up the system, going from rookie league to single A, eventually uh, was managing uh, the Marlins AAA team. Then he went to the Cubs organization as a minor league hitting instructor, uh, got promoted to the major league staff as an assistant hitting coach, and now he is the hitting coach for the Milwaukee Brewers. So Andy Haynes has been hired. Jeremy Jeffress had his option picked up. That was not a surprise. It was fully expected that uh, Jeffress would get back uh, with the team this year. The club option was at $3.175 million, and uh, clearly that was a uh, number that the club was very comfortable with uh, bringing him back. And if he is able to repeat his performance from last year to this year, he will once again be one of the best values in all of Major League Baseball. Mike Moustakis, Joaquin Soria, uh, they both uh, move on from the Brewers or at least move on into free agency. Nothing says that they can't uh, rejoin the team in some form or fashion, but they are going to uh, test out uh, free agency. Uh, Jordan Lyles 
did not have his club option picked up. So he is going to be uh, moving on. Also, uh, Stephen Vogt, he ends up uh, electing uh, free agency. And uh, so he is going to be out there. Pretty good chance that he signs back with the Brewers on some type of deal coming back from uh, the injury that he had. Uh, they were not going to go to arbitration with him. They were not going to spend that kind of money on him. But uh, he's somebody who still has a pretty solid uh, road back from uh, surgery. So pretty I, I don't know if I it's hard for me to speculate I just think there's there's certainly a, a chance that he is still in the Brewers organization if they can work out a uh, something that would work out there so those are the moves uh, of the week this past week and those are oh I gotta mention this too a bummer none of the Brewers uh, candidates for the uh, for gold gloves won now, Lorenzo Cain was the one that I thought had the best chance in center field. Uh, he does not win. Instead, it's Ender and Ciarte. Christian Yelich comes up short. Manny Pena comes up short. Travis Shaw comes up short. I'm not shocked on the last three. I thought there was an outside shot that Yelich would win it. Uh, I, I don't know if shocked is the right word on Lorenzo Cain, but definitely bum for him. I, it's, it's amazing that Cain has not won a gold glove in his career. And I'm just bummed for him that he didn't win it because I, I want to hopefully see that he he certainly has earned it. He's certainly deserving of it. And I feel like he's somebody that you want to see win a gold glove before their career comes to an end. Once again, that is this week's Headlines of the Week. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers x the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. We do continue on with the program, and uh, as we get into our social media conversation, let's bring in one of our uh, regular guests. Now, I'm going to start this by saying you're going to hear a lot of this guy. I've been... I've been not doing my job for the last month or so as we've been trying to get set for the full minor league recap. That is going to start next week, I promise. I know I've been talking about that week after week after week, and I'm always joined by Brad Ford on that. But before we get to that stuff next week, we're going to talk big league stuff uh, right now as uh, Brad Ford does join us. You can follow him on Twitter at BrewCrewBlue, and you can read him over uh, at uh, BrewCrewBall. Brad, great to have you. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, Matt. How about yourself? Doing good. Uh, doing good. It's still. Uh, this was kind of that first week for me where it didn't feel like baseball season anymore. Yeah, I'd agree. Like uh, I was watching the Packer game tonight, uh, since we record on Sundays, and I uh, there were things happening and like players who like I had no clue existed <laughs> were like doing things. People were like, no, this guy's a big deal. Like he's been around. Like, Packers got him, like, a few weeks ago, and I'm like, I don't know any of that. And normally, you know, I'm a big Packer fan. Brewers take, and baseball takes precedent. But normally I can follow the two simultaneously, especially because the Brewers are winding down and they might be falling out of a race. But with the playoff push and everything that was going on, and now with Keston here in the AFL, I have been baseball all the time, and it doesn't feel like it really calmed down until, yeah, about a week ago. This is how committed Brad is to doing this podcast. Uh, it is currently, as we are speaking, it is 9.52 p.m. on a Sunday night. The score of the Packers-Patriots game is 17-17. They are through three quarters. There's one more quarter to play. This looks like an awesome finish, and Brad is very graciously recording a Brewers podcast with me. So thank you. Baseball takes precedent, man. Do you at least, can you see the game as, as we're talking? 
I just turned on. I just right now turned on Score Tracker just to keep okay touch. But. Fair enough. Well, uh, we'll try to make sure you can catch at least the the end of the game before we uh, before we wrap up here. You uh, know, Matt, if it's if I miss it for you, I'll be okay. That's I appreciate that. That's very <laughs> nice of you to say. Uh, the big news. Let's start with the big news and then kind of go backwards from there. The big news of the week was the uh, the exodus of Derek Johnson, the Brewers. Very. Highly thought of pitching coach, who we give a lot of credit to him for uh, many things that happened on a positive side of things when it comes to pitching. Evidently, there was some sort of window in his contract where he was allowed to explore other situations, and he explored. He found a deal from Cincinnati. We don't know the money numbers. At least I have not seen anything, but we can only assume that Cincinnati threw the absolute world at him in terms of money, plus he gets to get a little bit closer to uh, his home base in Nashville, and a lot of people are freaking out about this. And uh, you know, we'll we'll see what the you know when we could talk twelve months from now and really kind of look and see what maybe the impact of that was. But what was your first reaction to uh, DJ leaving the Brewers? I was legitimately shocked. Um, it was something that I didn't even think was something that could happen. Um, but I mean. It was one of those, yeah, it just wasn't anything I was planning for. Coles went, and I thought, okay, that, you know, that happens. That's fine. Um, and then to lose two of your major coaching staff members in a few days was shocking enough. But then for it to be someone as highly regarded as Derek Johnson has been for the organization, uh, to be the fixer of pitchers, to be the guy who seemingly fixed Chassin, who seemingly fixed Wade Miley, um, has brought a lot of people back from what looked like, you know, bottom points of their career or careers that had never panned out even and made them relevant. It, yeah, that just came as a shock to me. Um, a few days later, and I had time to kind of take it in, I thought, this might not be as serious as we thought. Because it's he is instituting an organizational philosophy. We know that since David Stearns and the upper management has come on board and Craig Council has come on board, pitchers have pitched a certain way. Yes, Derek Johnson is a part of that. Pitchers have pitched a certain way throughout the organization. Um, I know Mark Dewey and Chris Hook, two of the pitching coordinators in the system, have been giving a lot of credit for their work in instituting a program that has come from the top down. And I imagine that whoever the pitching instructor is or the pitching coach who comes on board is going to have to bind that philosophy. So in terms of what the a way of attack that Derek Johnson really focused on, it's not as bad as it would be if he was the brains behind the operation. However, you still need someone who can get people or who can teach people that, who can get buy-in, who can successfully convert pitchers over to throwing new pitches, which sometimes can be very, sometimes can be very hard. Um, and that's where I think it'll be more impactful and they need to find the right fit. They really find need to find someone who the players buy into. Derek Johnson, when you follow everything that's been said about him from the minor leagues to before in his career when he was in the Indies in college, uh, when he was and during his time with the team was beloved, um, which people will buy into philosophy from a coach that they beloved. And uh, unfortunately, now he's with the Reds. 
Hopefully he doesn't find that same magic. I hope the best for him, but in terms of divisional <laughs> situations, I hope he doesn't find the same type of magic that he had. I mean, it is what it is. It's part of baseball, but it sucks, especially because I don't think anyone knew this window was happening. So when the news was announced, it came like a slap to the face for a lot of baseball fans and like something no one was picturing. I mean, the offseason starts and we're all imagining like, okay, who can they sign? Who can they trade? Who can they keep? And then next thing you know, you lose one of the institutions of your coaching staff. So sucks, but I, I mean, I believe in the Brewers management to find a, an appropriate replacement who can really come on board and help them continue with that success. I'm going to make a weird comparison for you. Uh, and But I, I think they're and it both involve the Cincinnati Reds, interestingly enough. I'm going to compare Derek Johnson and Matt Harvey. And here's where I'm going with this. The Brewers put in a claim on Harvey during the regular season, and then they tried to work out a deal uh, with Cincinnati to get a deal done. It was after the, 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 the waiver trade deadline and everything. And they just couldn't get a deal done. And I said at the time, David Stearns, knows the value that he has on a Matt Harvey, and he's not going to pay a penny more. And that's just the way it went. And turns out they didn't get a deal done, and now it doesn't even look like Harvey's probably going to be back in Cincinnati from the last I saw. I think he elected free agency. Uh, I think David Stearns knows exactly how much he is willing to pay a pitching coach, and he's not going to pay a pitching coach more. No matter how valuable that pitching coach is, there's a certain number that David Stearns is not going to go past. So there is a certain level of prospect or whatever that you're not going to surpass for a Matt Harvey, and there is a certain financial number that you're not going to surpass for Derek Johnson. And I think David Stearns has been very, very, very disciplined in his approach saying this guy is worth X amount, whether it's dollars, prospects, combination of the two, whatever it might be. This individual throughout the entire organization is worth X amount, and we're not going to go past that. And to me, this seems like a, a situation where they said, we just can't pay a pitching coach that amount of money. I'd agree with that. Um, I mean, you look in all the things that David Stearns has practiced, and he really does seem to be, you know, dig your heels on the ground, and this is where I stand. Um, even when it comes to, like, I'm sure the Harvey trade talks were close, and I'm sure the Reds just kept asking, like, okay, this can happen if you just do this. And I'm sure David Stearns just said, no, this is my offer. This is what I'm willing to give up. This is deal with it or don't. I 100% agree with your assessment. I think that's exactly how it happened. And they have that evaluation, and that's what they're sticking to. It, in a market the size of Milwaukee with the financial constraints that exist, you, you're going to have some short-term losses going about things that way, and there's going to be people who are bummed out at the moment. Oh, how can they let Cincinnati, you know, you got to match whatever it is. And, and I get that, you know, in a, in a, you know, in a filter or whatever, you know, just in the individual instance, yeah, that makes sense. But when you take a step back and you're trying to, you know, institute a winning program and a winning organization from top to bottom and not just short term, but long term as well. And, you know, that was part of the meeting last year at the end of last season, not the most season that was just completed, but 
the season where they finished one game out of a playoff spot, and they had that kind of off-season summit with with the owner Mark Atanasio, with David Stearns and Matt Arnold and Craig Council. They made that decision where they said wins in the 2018 season are going to be just as valuable as wins in the 2020 season. They didn't say wins in 2018 are going to be more valuable than wins in 2020. So they're continuing to go through a pattern where they make decisions that do have a short-term impact. And obviously, look at the trades they made, especially the August 31st trades. They they clearly made some, some moves to win in 2018, but it does seem like the moves that they make, and I think this goes back to Derek Johnson, the moves that they make, they don't want this to have a negative impact on the team moving forward in the long term. Right. And I think that a big part with Johnson was that they believed that they could, because it's an organizational scheme that he's implementing, that they could find someone who's near as good as coaching. I don't want to say you can find anyone as good, but I mean, they really just dug Derek Johnson out of a well, not a, no other teams were willing to take part of. And I think their theory is there's a bunch of new age coaches out there whose talent is being untapped. We can go in, we can bring them in, coach them to our system, have them teach around our philosophy, and we'll have success with that. They uh, they do make a move this week, and look, I don't want – we can't really break down Andy Haynes. I'm not trying to break down Andy Haynes. He's the new hitting coach. His background he, – man, he's worked hard. He started in the independent leagues, uh, got to start managing in the minor leagues, eventually got a coordinator job with the Cubs, was an assistant hitting coach with the Cubs. Like This is a guy who's worked really hard. And, uh, again, I don't think – there's nothing he has done that can indicate – what what he's going to do with the Brewers. I think the, the the thing for me with Andy Haynes being the new hitting coach, this is a grinder. This is a guy who started at the absolute. You know, he spent two years as the manager in the summer collegiate league of the Waterloo Bucks. And I, I'm not even sure which Waterloo that is. There's a Waterloo in just about uh, every – was that – was it? Uh, that was Waterloo, Iowa that he was in. So there's a Waterloo just about everywhere. But I appreciate a guy who is – definitely been grinding the way he has and somebody who has worked himself up the ranks right um and i mean he does have some connections to the team he was christian yelich's coach in the minor leagues um and he also comes to the brewers in a very similar way that Derek johnson came to the brewers you know comes from indie league goes up the or you know for him comes from outside of baseball goes up the minor league chain um and then we take him from the cubs so granted Derek johnson hadn't made it to the cubs pitching staff but or hadn't made it to the cubs uh yeah pitching staff Duh. can't talk because i'm trying to also uh type um but I mean, it's one of those things where I think they're t- think they're typing tapping into bright minds who other teams haven't utilized their full potential so far. So maybe he'll be some revolution where you know, very rarely uh, you talk about a pitching coach. I feel like pretty commonly, very rarely do you talk about a hitting coach. Maybe it'll be a hitting coach we actually talk about. Maybe and. Darnell Coles did a nice job. He he was obviously well thought of in the sense that uh, he got a job pretty quick thereafter. But uh, sometimes I'm not mad at a new voice there. And this is not an indictment on Darnell Coles at all. But sometimes new voices are 
important. And I'm uh, uh, I'm excited to see what a new hitting coach can do. I'm not sure what kind of impact, if any, but to me, there's more upside than downside. Yeah. Um, I mean, I always talk about, in terms of impact, just changing random hitting coaches can have, is Ricky Weeks. The one coach he really seemed to transform himself and start having success under was Dale Swim. Um, and he's had a, he had a bunch of good and respected hitting coaches leading up to that point, but it just took the input that Swain had for him to finally flip the switch. So, you know, maybe a couple people come over and that happens, uh, with the change in pitching coaches here, just like you said. Um, so it's interesting to look at. I don't think, I think for the most part, the difference with pitching and hitting is that, Hitters generally have a lot of confidence in their hitting and know what they did to get them to where they are. So they like staying confident where they are and they really don't feel like they necessarily need to go and revolutionize anything until they really start to struggle. And then that's when they'll finally start looking at tuning things up. The, uh, the gold glove winners were announced. We're talking on Sunday night and um, we, it's, Lorenzo Cain didn't win in center field. Ender Enciarte. Enciarte is a really good center fielder. I mean, I'm bummed for Lorenzo Cain, and it's a, he has not won a Golden Glove in his career, and I feel like he's got to at some point in time. Uh, that's the one that that stood out to me. I thought Christian Yelich maybe had a chance uh, to uh, to win it uh, in left field. He he does not. Uh, the other two, I didn't think Travis Shaw was going to win it. I didn't think Manny Pena was going to uh, win it. But what's your reaction to Lorenzo Cain not winning it, being the uh, one of the runner-ups in center field? Uh, I'm very, very, very disappointed. It is something that I thought he very much deserved. After he didn't win it, I looked at um, defensive runs saved, UZR, um, defensive war, and all of the metrics I could kind of pull out for defense, and the only one Enciarte had Lorenzo Cain beat on was fielding percentage. Um, Which we now completely dismiss. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can go back to the assumption that the Gold Glove Awards are still incredibly antiquated, uh, that they really hail things like uh, winning a Gold Glove Award before. This is Enciarte's third. Um, you can go and say that they're not looking at those advanced metrics and they're just quote-unquote watching with their eyes. Um, I just think they made their decision, and it, it's a bummer. I definitely, I 100% believe that even if Lorenzo Kane wasn't a brewer, I would have believed it wasn't ever a brewer, and I never had that connection to him. If this happened to another player, I would believe that they were the appropriate winners and there are situations that happen like that abound in the gold glove awards where you know i did my homework and i especially at the positions that the brewers played and i thought you know these players really deserve to win it and you have those quote-unquote old schoolers who have their awards like yeti and molina yeti or molina come out and uh you know, just walk off with yet another gold glove to add to the stack, even though there's a more deserving candidate. Not that Pena should have won the gold glove at catcher, but I also don't think Yadier Molina has done defensively what he used to do at catcher that he deserved that um, award this year. 
So, I mean, it's just the nature of the award season. Even when you think something's a secure thing, it's still always up to the randomness that is voters. And you just got to deal with it and move on. I don't get the, and this is just kind of a complaint. And, and I think what you just said, I think there are people who just, who just vote without doing a whole lot of research, without looking at some of the advanced metrics that exist from a defensive standpoint. And I don't say this to like vault myself, but the, the only thing of importance that I get to vote on is uh, the Brewers' uh, walk of honor deal. And, um, or yeah, what, I, I'm messing that up, whatever it's called. The, the, the thing that we, uh, that we voted Jeff Jenkins into uh, this past year. I can't even name it, and I'm talking about how important it is to me. But I take that so seriously. I get the ballot, and I'll tell you what. I go back through, and I look at every single person on that ballot, and it means something to me to have a vote. Like That's that's an important deal. That is worth something. That is worth a ton. And I could, if, I'm never going to be in the Baseball Writers Association because I'm not a writer, and I... I I know the guys who are voting in Milwaukee, and I know they do a good job, and they're doing due diligence, but I don't think that exists across the board in baseball. I just could never imagine having a vote in these very important things, whether it's a gold glove, whether it's an MVP, whether it's a Cy Young, whatever it is. I could not imagine um, having uh, having a vote and not taking it seriously. Uh, Yeah. It'd be very hard for me to not justify trying to keep up with the like very most cutting edge in baseball to make sure that I am electing the people who deserve it. Um, and sometimes that minutia that gets thrown in, it's just astounding to me. Like how much we know, well, actually Mookie Betts helped himself out a lot, but for most of the season, we knew 100% that Mike Trout was the best player in the American League. And there are people with votes arguing that, like, well, he's playing for a crappy team. What does it matter if you're the best player on a crappy team? Because it's visible that he is the best player. Um, but it matters so much for people to be on a good team in order to give people awards. And it matters so much that, you know, home runs count for a ton or there's people who still vote on Cy Youngs who will argue on social media or in their article or whatever medium they have that pitching wins matter a ton. And it's just like, I mean, the uh, Jacob DeGrom's going through the same thing that uh, I was just talking about for Mike Trout, where people are like, oh, he didn't win. He played on a crappy team. How good could he be to win the Cy Young? He is hands down the best pitcher in the National League. There's no argument. If you went up and asked anyone, I'm pretty sure most of these pitchers, people voting would say he's the best pitcher in the National League. But still, because there was that methodology passed on from generation to generation, these baseball writers, they're still stuck on that one thought process. And this is how it has to be. I, I can't change because this is how we do it. Or I'm not changing. I refuse to change because... You know, this is how it's always been, and this is how the award should go off of. I don't get that, like, refusal to evolve and to really look into everything possible and use all your resources to make the best decision and to be passionate about making that decision in year in, year out. It drives me crazy. It's, it, it does. It, let me, I'm going to repeat this. I think all the, uh, the writers in Milwaukee do a good job. In fact, one of the, one of the people who does have a vote on, on Cy Young and MVP and everything was kind of 
debating some stuff, and I don't think I was the only one he reached out to, but kind of threw some stuff at me about, hey, this versus this, this number versus this number. What do you think? Like, I know that they do a lot of work on that. So I just want to say that I'm not talking about people specifically in Milwaukee. I'm talking more about people from outside uh, the area. Uh, this, right. pa- this past week, uh, in terms of players' comings and goings, uh, you had them picking up uh, the option on Jeremy Jeffress, so he's back. Uh, Mike Moustakis, Joaquin Soria will head to a free agency. Stephen Vote will also head to a free agency. have a number of players they still need to make decisions on that are arbitration eligible. We'll get to that in a moment. But in terms of Vote, Soria, Moustakis, Jeffress, anything surprise you on that? I think the most surprising thing was that uh, neither uh, Soria or Moustakis enacted their mutual option. Because I don't think either is going to actually go and make more money. So maybe the team just straight up told them, like, hey, we're not taking on your option. So, like, if you want to do your side of the option, go ahead. But we're not picking it up. And so they just didn't pick up their end either because they knew they were going to have to go to free agency. I get the value in having um, more years and more consistent money. But I, yeah, I don't think Moose is making 15 million and I don't think Sori is making 10 million. So that neither of them wanted to actually go through and not test that option to see if the Brewers would just pick up their end was surprising to me. Uh, and I miss I miss Jordan Lyles as well. He was somebody who uh, they're not bringing back either. Yep, um, I know Kyle uh, Co. Actually, the editor for Brew Crew Ball was heartbroken about that. I think he was a good option. I thought he was a good acquisition who carries a lot of uh, mystique to him. Um, I hope he's someone the Brewers are able to give or bring back because I think there's a chance they can make him into someone good. But it it. During the budget, what the budget could have been in 2019 and what they're walking out of, it doesn't surprise me that they're going to cut a corner in any opportunity they have with they don't or if they feel like it doesn't truly hurt the team. And I think Jordan Lyle's ability was enough of a coin flip where it they felt it was worth it to go and not take that option and move forward with that. We'll get into more of this just on, on future editions of uh, the podcast, but arbitration eligible players, the, the list I've got in front of me, and I, I don't I think this is the complete list. I don't think anything's happened uh, that I've missed, but Scope, Shaw, Knable, Nelson, Perez, uh, not Perez, Junior Guerra, Zach Davies, Domingo Santana, Manny Pena, Eric Kratz, Dan Jennings, Xavier Cedeno, Tyler Saladino. That's the list that I have in terms of players who are arbitration eligible. Are there any clear non-tenders in there for you? Hold on. I really got to get this list in front of me because I know I'm going to miss one otherwise. And it's going to be horrible. Well, then it's not clear. So, I mean, I, that's why I say clear because I think I think there's going to be some non-tenders in there. But what are the ones that just jump out at you or the one maybe that just jumps out at you as there's no way that they offer this guy arbitration? Um, I kind of think it's going with the way they were talking about him. See, the problem is I'm not playing this game correctly. Um, run through them one more time. We have Scope, we have Saladino, we have Sedeno. I don't think Scope or Sedeno, I think he might be non-tendered. Um, and I think that let's, and I really don't know if Scope's coming back. 
that's see, the, the problem is I don't know. They're going to zig when I expect them to zig. I never know when they're going to, like, for sure go through with a move. And I just constantly double, or like, second-guess myself on how they're going to go about this. <laughs> so we could go to the clear ones are Travis Shaw's yes. Corey Knable is yes. Jimmy Nelson is yes. Zach Davies, I think, is yes. Uh, oh, okay. Sorry, I thought you said non-tenders. So that's why I was having such a hard time with it. Misheard. <laughs> so just guys who are arbitration eligible and yeah. wh- who they're going to be able to move forward with or not move forward with. Yeah, 100%. Okay. Um, Jimmy Nelson, absolutely. Travis Shaw, absolutely, like you said. Like, they're all going through with those options. The catchers are uh, interesting with Pena and Kratz. I do think that there's no harm in going through. Uh, well, they're definitely going through with Pena. I can't imagine. I think they love Pena's defense. Um Kratz is the interesting one, and that's where I go back and forth on. But I think they go through it because how much can he really make an arbitration? Um, and if you value his defense as much as he performed, I think you still move forward with that deal if you want that timeshare back there. However, if they do keep him, I don't see Kratz being on the roster until May. The, uh, the good folks over at MLB Trade Rumors who do the arbitration projections puts Eric Kratz at $1.7 million. Like I could do that for a backup catcher. Yeah. Uh, even if it's a, I mean, with as important as he was to the team, I mean, the players rallied around him. He really held the pitching staff together and he hit well enough. I don't think he can hit that well again, which is why I think he doesn't make it um, as long as probably as long as jet bandy went or if the brewers actually sign someone else, um, and bring in a new catcher, say uh, Ramos, I think then it's uh, not happening. The, the most uh, interesting guy, though, is Jonathan Scope because he's projected to make better than $10 million. You've got the prospects that you gave up for him invested in him, and no matter, no matter how bad a guy performs, if you're a general manager who makes a move like that, you're going to be sitting there going, man, I gave up this for this. I can't just walk away. I... I I don't know what's going to happen with Jonathan Scope. I have no way to predict what's going to happen with Jonathan Scope. Yeah. I Because I keep looking at it, and that trade was huge, but it wasn't. Um, the team obviously didn't want to play VR. I don't know whose decision that was. I kind of lean towards Council because I think Stern said he was a very valuable get when he traded for him from Houston, and that's why he got him. Um. But obviously, someone didn't want him to play no matter what the situation. Um, you look at Luis Ortiz, who I still think is a very good pitching prospect, regardless of he can barely touch 100 innings every year because of injury. Um, I think he's someone who you just hope at some point learns how to stay healthy for an entire season and he can help out. But I think especially with how the Brewers currently design their bullpen, he holds a lot of value with that as a guy coming out with two plus pitches and an above average pitch. Um, So if you have him coming out every three days, four days, throwing three or four innings, I think there's a lot of value to that for this current team. And then Gene Carmona, who has some of the best, who had some of the best potential, the lower level players on the team, played at a position that isn't as strong as it used to be in the Brewer system at shortstop. Granted, they're getting a little, little better with that. Um, 
I just feel like they gave up a lot to just give up on a guy because he had one bad half. But when you look at the analytics of Scope's performance, it's who he is. He doesn't walk. He strike her. He had, strikes out a decent number. Uh, and he just hits home runs. That's what he does. He hits home runs. If the Brewers keep him, I still think their offense is starting the season better than it started last season. But I'm not sure if that's the way they want to go. And especially if you want to have a $10 million stopgap at second base, when if he fails to perform, you're just going to bring up your dirt cheap prospect anyway. Yeah, and you know, for most teams, $10 million, yeah, whatever. For the Brewers, $10 million, that's... That's seven, eight, nine percent. You know, if their their payroll will probably be better than a hundred million dollars next year. You're looking, but not a whole lot more than a hundred million. So that's a significant part of your payroll. And I guess you can you can say, well, how many guys do you have that are still under club control that are making you know in the hundreds of thousands? I, I get that, but you bring in Jonathan Scope or you bring back Jonathan Scope. That that also impacts what you do in free agency if you do want to upgrade in some other areas. It's a uh, I hate using the word fascinating because I feel like I use it way too often, but of every single thing that's going to happen this offseason, I don't know if there is a more fascinating thing that's going to happen than Jonathan Scope and the the domi- either the domino that that's going to be, you know, the domino track that that's going to be a part of or that being the first domino of the track that you eventually get on. I, I think it really has a huge impact in this offseason. And of all the... Of all the moves that are there to be made without making a significant trade, scope being non-tendered would clear up the most salary. The other option I've considered is that they sign him to uh, maybe they do a one year with an option, and you know he gets seven million each year if they pick up the option and a one million dollar opt-out protection, and then he can go in knowing like I have the security, I can build this up, but. I just don't see that being something Scope would sign, um, especially with the amount that's projected to him on the table. I don't think he gets that projected amount, but if the Brewers are looking to save, it's hard to see where else the line is. And there were off-season comments made by David Stearns that made it sound like they didn't really foresee Scope's performance as something that was going to, that they wanted on next year's team. It's... It's an odd situation, to say the least. And the Brewers, I think if the Brewers want him back, he's back. And the Brewers are pretty good at working out deals with guys who are arbitration eligible before they even go to arbitration. I think that is a strength of the organization. So if they went to Scope and said, hey, we'll give you $8 million this year, there's probably a good chance that, you know, there's just because the arbitration projection says $10 million, don't forget players are coming off a year last year of the offseason where guys weren't making the money they were expecting to make and guys were going into spring training without jobs yet. That's still going to be looming over free agency this year. So if you're Jonathan Scope and you're, and you're smart about things, 
things and the Brewers say, we'll give you $8 million, I think there's a better than average chance that you take it because if the other option is going into free agency and you're just coming off a period where you weren't very good, you're maybe worried about what you, you'll, you'll sign eventually, but you really don't know what that's going to end up looking like. Uh, but again, is so then we can change the question, is he worth $8 million? And we just did, is he worth $10 million? Well, is he worth $8 million? Like at, at what number does it all of a sudden become, okay, yeah, he should be back at that number? I think $8 million is where I'm like, it's – Cutting that, saving that two million can be very important for this team, and I think that's where it becomes okay for me. Um, it's still a little higher than I'd like it to be, but that's where I think I can see like, okay, we can justify this. This is a guy who hit thirty home runs. Um, he has the offensive potential to really help the team, you know, not struggle if he doesn't do what he did last year. Um. So I I think eight million is something where I I wouldn't be thrilled about it, but I could say okay. And I realize it doesn't seem that substantial, but it's a twenty percent decrease from his projection. Um, I think the happiest number I would be at is about six million for next year, but I, there's no way that no happens chance. To yeah, me. that's a no chance yeah, for me. There, there's no way that happens. Um, so I think eight million. If they're just like, hey, let's just stay flat from where you were. You had an off season. Let's see if we can, you know, really help each other out. When you come play for us, we'll see if you can't get better, and we'll just make it work. Um, I still think that Hero takes his job, regardless of what happens. And if the Brewers believe that's What's going to happen, then why tender him? That's why, and maybe it still happens, but I was, part of me was, I don't know if rooting is the right word, but part of me was maybe partially hopeful that it might be a scenario where you move on from scope, you bring Moustakis back, you put Shaw at second, Moustakis is back on a one-year deal, and... At some point in the year, the door is going to open up for Hira to get there and start to get his feet wet. And if it's a question between going in with Moustakis at third and Shaw at second, eventually Hira getting there, or a situation of Shaw at third, Scope at second, and Hira eventually getting there, I like the idea of Moustakis better. And I know the mutual option on Moustakis was at $15 million, but there's also a $1 million buyout on that. So essentially you're already paying him a million. So it's actually at $14 million. What's the difference? You know, Moustakis at fourteen, I think, brings a whole lot more value than Scope at ten. Yes, um, I do think there are more opportunities to recreate um, Moustakis out there right now than there are to recreate a scope. But I think I'd rather take that risk. Yeah. And I'm I'm comfortable with Travis Shaw at second, by the way. Like I, I of all the things he looked that, really good there. Yeah, he looked not, fine. Not like extremely good, but really good for a third baseman who you wouldn't expect to be that comfortable there. Within the first month of the move, there was a couple times where he committed airs. They're like, okay, that's a third baseman playing second. But as as it got into you know that really that final few weeks of the regular season and into the postseason, he was making every play he was supposed to make, and he was making a couple more as well. He wasn't wasn't a superstar there. Wasn't making a million plays that you know were above average but he made some really solid plays there at second right he looked a little slow here and there but if you're looking for a stopgap i again like if you can't get Mustakas back um you could see if josh donaldson wanted to sign a one-year deal 
I doubt he does at 33, but you could see if he wants to try to rebuild some of his value and go out of on the end of his career on something with more value. But then there's also like a few just role players. If you think here is going to come up, who you could have for cheap, um, who just hold that over if you feel that's the way you need to go. So we'll see what happens. Mustakis didn't sign until spring training this past year going back to Kansas City. If he goes back into free agency this year and it's just as quiet as it was last year, his agent should call up David Stearns and see what they can get on a one-year deal because him playing half of his games at Miller Park I think would really – you know he already has – uh, the the reputation for being a good hitter, for being a guy who's really good in the clubhouse, but I think his offensive numbers a full year at Miller Park would would he might put together his best season in his career. Yeah, um, but I don't think he waits that long just because he doesn't have the uh, franchise tag, or that's not what it's called in baseball. Um, he doesn't have the qualifying offer, the qualifying yeah. offer hovering over his career or ho- hovering over him this time. He doesn't come with that uh, little detractor of losing your first round pick. So this year he can walk out and be in a much better situation. Um, so I'm not sure he will stay on the market for that long, especially when you're looking at like the teams who are losing out on third baseman and need that help. I think he might be someone a lot of teams or more teams than that. Not a lot of teams, more teams than last year are interested in. That's a good point. And uh, that's a real good point. And we'll wrap things up uh, on that point, because as always, I've kept you for a really long time before, (laughs) before we let you go. uh, What are you, uh, what are you working on right now over at brew crew ball? Uh, We are doing a run through the minor league uh, top prospects that the community voted on. So the early in the year, we asked the community every year, what or you know who are our best prospects the community decides the order rather than wanting one of us telling them so i'm going through and reviewing everyone's season everyone who at least started the season with the brewers we ended up going to 33 instead of 30 because uh three of them ended up traded uh before we finished the list uh in the in the famous christian yelich trade um so I'm going through the top 10 of those. I'll be working on some uh, minor league previews. Um, I'm covering the Arizona Fall League. And, of course, we are uh, working through right now our big thing on the website, which I'll help out with occasionally, is our most valuable brewers poll that you can come over and vote on. All right. that's uh, And I just got to say, you guys are – even though it's into the off season, you guys are still killing it. Still, it did not take much of a lull in terms of uh, content after the season came to an end. So, uh, kudos to you and the entire staff over there. Hey, appreciate it. It's all Kyle. He keeps the fire burning under us. So, <laughs> you know, I get a message just making sure everything's going well. He writes the ship, and uh, you know, if you give anyone a follow, I really recommend you go in to check out his content specifically because it's always spectacular. Brad, always appreciate it. Next week we will start our minor league recap, so look forward to that as well. Can't wait. 
Brad Ford joining us on the program, and we appreciate him taking some time here on Brewers Extra and the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. And that's just about going to uh, wrap things up. Do you want to remind you about something that happened uh, this past week, some big things in sports radio uh, in Milwaukee and throughout Wisconsin? 94.5 FM, they switched over to uh, ESPN Milwaukee FM this past week. So you are able, uh, if you are in the Milwaukee area and you're looking for sports radio, and you want to hear it uh, be totally clear and sound and uh, no crackling or anything like that, uh, you can now hear uh, 94.5 FM. It is ESPN Radio. It is a mix of uh, local and national stuff. And actually, uh, this Thursday, I'm going to be in with uh, Brian D. from 11 to noon, and a bunch of uh, the WTMJ folks are going to be filling in with him here uh, moving forward as they are uh, WTMJ's uh, new sister station. Excited to uh, have them on, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be fun as WTMJ just went through uh, a bit of an ownership change. We were taken over by a Good Karma Brands, who had previously uh, owned in the Milwaukee area, ESPN Milwaukee. They own ESPN Madison. Uh, it's a great group, a great organization. We're all excited to be part of that family now. And uh, even more excited that it's now sports on 94.5 FM, and you can be uh, tuned in for, uh, for that. So it's a great thing. First time that Milwaukee has had a full-time, full-power FM station bringing sports. So make sure to check that out as you uh, go about your days, whether you're driving around or whether you're in the office, whatever it might be. You can definitely check out 94.5 FM. Also, we do continue to do the Brewers Weekly Show on Thursday nights on WTMJ from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock. So uh, be tuned in for that as uh, we've got you uh, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock. And we'll uh, continue to talk all things Milwaukee Brewers baseball on Thursday nights. Assuming there's not a Bucks game or a Packers game, we've always got you on Thursday all right, that's going to do it for this edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Once again, my thanks to Brad Ford for joining us. We will talk to you again next week for another edition on the WTMJ Mobile Network. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.